0: Matthew 27, 57, the burial of Jesus. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb, as he had been cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting opposite the tomb. (coughs) The next day, the one after Preparation Day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days, I will rise again. So he gave the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day, otherwise the disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to him, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and they devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report goes to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples were, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, some would, and some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen.
1: Friends, the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus is one of the central doctrines of the Christian faith. Uh, So much so that the Bible says, and Paul says this for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that if Jesus has not been risen from the dead, then your faith is in vain and in fact there is zero hope for anybody beyond the grave. That is how important, how central the resurrection of Jesus is. Now, over the years, there have been many attempts to explain away the resurrection. There have been many attempts to uh, come up with uh, other explanations as to what happened to the body of Jesus. For example, there are some people who say that Jesus did not actually die on the cross. Now, I'm not talking about the Muslim uh, view that he was miraculously lifted off the cross uh, at the time of the resurrection of the, of the crucifixion, but uh, I'm talking about a, an idea that became popular in the 19th century, which was called the swoon theory, and that is that Jesus didn't die on the cross, that in fact he only lost consciousness, and uh, he was buried uh, in the tomb, and in the cool of the tomb, that Jesus regained his consciousness, that he was revived and that he was able to unwrap himself from the cloths that he had been uh, covered with and that uh, he was able to roll away the stone and that he walked for several miles and that he gave the appearance to others that he had conquered death. Now, if you were here in church last Sunday, you would have learnt a little bit about what crucifixion does to the human body. Uh, It was a hideous and cruel and torturous form of execution uh, which did unspeakable things to a person's body. And so if Jesus did actually not die on the cross, that he simply lost consciousness... If Jesus actually survived the cross, then in order to continue to survive, in order to not die some very short time later, Jesus Jesus would have been in need of urgent medical attention and indeed very sophisticated medical attention. And so the idea that after being crucified and buried, that Jesus came uh, revived himself and unwrapped his body, and uh, rolled away the stone and walked for miles and appeared that he had conquered death is a ludicrous idea, stupid idea. Other people have put forward a conspiracy theory. They say that, yes, Jesus did die and he was buried, but the disciples stole his body from the tomb. And then they lied and they told people that Jesus had been resurrected that he was alive again. Now I'm not sure why they would want to do that uh, given uh, what they suffered as a result of preaching the resurrection, uh, given that some of the disciples actually were executed themselves because of what they taught about Jesus. I'm not sure why they would want to tell a lie that led to their own execution but that is one way that people have uh, tried to explain away the resurrection. It's the oldest argument against the resurrection of Jesus. It's the very first argument against the resurrection of Jesus. It is the argument which we find contained in the passage that we'll be looking at in a few moments in Matthew 27 and 28. But before we do that, throughout the ministry of Jesus, we've seen that Jesus taught about his own resurrection, Jesus kept on saying to people that he would die and that he would rise again. Let's have a look at a few of those uh, passages, just from Matthew's gospel. If you want to open up your Bibles at Matthew uh, chapter sixteen to start off with, in chapter sixteen, verse twenty-one, uh, you'll find that on page uh, six hundred ninety-four. Now, uh, this comes after Peter uh, came to the realisation that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. And in verse 21, uh, it says that from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And so that is what Jesus kept on teaching his disciples. Uh, We see it again in chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him and on the third day he will be raised to life. We see it in chapter 20, over the page, in chapter 20, verses 18 and 19. Which, where Jesus said we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and he will turn. they will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day he will be raised to life. So what we're saying here is that throughout the teaching ministry of Jesus, from that point where Peter recognised that Jesus was the Christ, that he kept on teaching his disciples that he would be handed over, that he would be killed and that he would be raised to life. But my question is this, did the disciples believe this? Did they expect that Jesus would would rise from the dead? seems to me that we can tell whether they expected that or not by looking at how, how they responded and what they did after Jesus died now we see some of that in today's passage if you uh, care to turn over to chapter 27 of Matthew's Gospel and we see firstly in the passage that was read to us by Nigel that we meet a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea Uh, we learn about him in verses 57 to 61 Joseph was one of the religious leaders he was actually a prominent member of the Sanhedrin. That means that Joseph was there when they made the decision that they wanted to see Jesus killed. Uh, Joseph, we're told, dissented from that decision. And the reason that he dissented was that Joseph was actually a disciple of Jesus, a secret disciple. Well, the secret uh, was out at this point because what we see here is that uh, Joseph of Arimathea acted after the death of Jesus. Now, normally, Romans the Romans would leave a crucified body on the crucifix uh, for sufficient time for the body to to rot. Uh, and then when it was finally pulled down or fell down, they would take the body and they would go and throw it into a pit, uh, into an open grave and smouldering grave and so on. It was part of the extension of the humiliation of dying by that means. But on this occasion, the Jews uh, wanted the three bodies that had been executed down before that time. They wanted the bodies to be down before 6pm on the Friday. The reason for that is that in the Jewish way of thinking that a new day begins at 6pm and that uh, the Saturday would begin at 6pm on Friday and the Saturday was the Sabbath. So it's very important for them to have these dead bodies down from the cross before the Sabbath. That's in line with uh, the Mosaic law particularly important uh, because this Sabbath happened to be a Passover Sabbath and so the bodies were brought down uh, when if a person wasn't dead they would go and basically um, bash their legs and break their legs so that they couldn't push upwards so that they could exhale and uh, that way the uh, suffocation would uh, or the um, asphyxiation uh, that the death would would occur Far more quickly. They didn't have to do that in the case of Jesus because he was already dead but they thrust a spear into his side and uh, water and blood came out. Here we see that uh, Joseph of Arimathea in verse 58 applied to Pilate to have the body of Jesus given to him. Uh, That was unusual uh, and uh, the body would only be given to uh, friends or family upon application and consent from Pilate. Joseph was a rich man and Jesus could therefore be buried in a tomb which he had prepared for himself. Now a rich man's tomb was a tomb that was cut into rock. It had two chambers. It had an outer chamber which is uh, where you could uh, could walk through. You'd have to bend down. You'd walk through the outer chamber and then there would be the entrance to the inner chamber, which is where the bodies would be laid. That inner chamber chamber was sealed off by a, a rock that was cut in the form of a disc that uh, could be rolled down a slight uh, uh, angle, a slight descent, and set in place in, in a groove that's cut into the rock. And so... That was what Joseph's tomb would have been like. It's interesting that in Isaiah 53 that Isaiah had prophesied that that God's Messiah would be buried with the rich in his death. And so therefore unwittingly Joseph is acting under the providential care of God uh, to fulfil the prophecy of Isaiah 53. So Joseph took the body to the tomb but before he rolled the stone in place, he wrapped Jesus's body in cloths. This was a huge job, and we're told in one of the other gospels that he did it with the aid of Nicodemus. And it was a huge job because inside the cloths, they would have to um, uh, they, they would have to uh, include uh, some spices. We're told that it was seventy five pounds of myrrh and aloes that equates to 34 kilograms of uh, spices now that is a lot that is a lot of spices that is a hard job to have done that was the tradition and so my question is this given that Is it reasonable to assume that Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, was expecting him to rise from the dead on the third day? doesn't look like it, does it? He's preparing for a normal burial. What about the women? Um, In verse 61, we read that the two Marys are there, that they saw the burial take place. And uh, in chapter 28, verse 1, on the Sunday, they went back to the tomb. Uh, you see, uh, John's gospel tells us that they uh, that they did that in order to um, uh, do their own bit in terms of adding spices to preserve the body. Uh, they didn't do it on the Saturday because the Saturday was the Sabbath, and uh, they were they were godly women. They would not work on the Sabbath. But given that on the third day that they actually go back to the tomb with more spices, what does that tell you about their expectation? Were they expecting Jesus to rise from the dead on the third day? Clearly not. What about the 11 disciples, that special core group of men? Were they expecting Jesus to rise on the third day? Well, if they were, and these were the guys who were most exposed to the teaching of Jesus, if they were expecting that Jesus would rise on the third day as he told them that he would, would you not expect that they would be at the tomb waiting for resurrection to happen on the third day? But they weren't there, were they? Far from it. Uh, In John chapter 20 we're told that they were actually hiding in a room they'd locked the doors because they were so scared they were fearful of the jews they were not expecting resurrection they weren't waiting for resurrection the disciples of jesus were not believing that the resurrection would happen they weren't even thinking about resurrection they were shattered they were frightened But the disciples were not the only ones who had information about what Jesus taught about him being raised from the dead on the third day. I wonder if you'll come with me back to Matthew chapter 12 for a moment and we'll pick it up at verse 38. Uh, This is where Jesus is, is in confrontation with the religious leaders. In chapter 12, verse 38... We're told, then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, what is the the sign of the prophet Jonah? Well, he goes on to explain. He says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This is a clear allusion to his burial that would only last for three days and three nights. It is a clear reference to the resurrection of Jesus. And it seems that the, the religious leaders were quite clear on this matter. They may have also received information from the traitor, from Judas. Uh, that what Jesus said to the disciples about what would happen on the third day. And so because of this, you see, what I'm saying here is that these were the guys who were thinking about resurrection, not the disciples, it was the religious leaders who were thinking about resurrection. Have a look at verse 63 because they went to Pilate about this matter and in verse 63 they say, Uh, So give the order... Uh, Go back to verse 63. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said that uh, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. And this deception will be worse than the first. They were worried. It was clear in their minds what Jesus had taught about resurrection. They knew that it would be on the third day. And so they're saying put a guard on the uh, tomb until the third day's over because they were so clear on the third day issue. They were worried. They thought that the disciples... We're getting all geared up to go and to steal the body and to claim that resurrection had happened. So they asked Pilate to secure the tomb. And uh, the great irony here is that it's not the disciples who remembered resurrection teaching, it was his enemies. In verse 65, Pilate permits them to take a detachment of soldiers. And to secure the term, they would have put a seal around it, which was uh, like the Roman seal, to say that this is sealed off, don't go there. And it was a detachment of soldiers, Roman soldiers. Yet, friends, the best trained, the best equipped, the most effective soldiers in the world were not prepared for what would happen next. And that is Resurrection. It was sunrise, Sunday morning. Chapter 28, verse 2, there was a violent earthquake because an angel from God came. He looked like lightning. His clothes were were white. And by rolling back the stone, the angel revealed that Jesus was not there. See, I don't think that the angel had to roll back the stone so that Jesus could walk out. Jesus could walk through stone in his resurrected body. What this does is that it reveals that the body was no longer there. The soldiers were scared stiff. Verse 4. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. There's actually a play on words here that, uh, that you can see in the Greek, but it doesn't translate through into the English. And uh, that is that the word shook uh, has the same root word as the word earthquake. It's the word seismos in the Greek. From You know, we talk about seismology, that's the study of earthquakes. It says here that these, uh, it wasn't just the earth that quaked, These soldiers had their own little personal earthquake uh, at the sight of what had happened, at the sight of this angel, at the sight of the empty tomb. They quaked. It says that they were like dead people. The women were there too. They were there with their spices to preserve the body. But in verse 6, the angel spoke to them and he said he is not here he has risen come and have a look and see where he lay can you imagine how they felt Uh, uh, matthew puts it beautifully in verse 8 he says that there was this conflict within them emotionally because it it says that they were uh, they were afraid yet they were full of joy You can understand that. And then in verse 9, that which they did not expect, that which nobody expected to happen, happened. Have a look at verse 9. In verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. They clasped his feet. They touched him, and they worshipped him. There is only one person that a devout Jew would worship. Here we see that these women have acknowledged, they've come to the realisation of who Jesus actually is, that he is God. For to worship someone who is not God would be blasphemy. It is a great moment. Confronted by the resurrected Christ, these women worship him as God. But what about the religious leaders? The same could not be said for them. In verses 11 through to 15, the soldiers uh, went back to those religious leaders. And reported to them everything that had taken place. And so the earthquake, the angel, the missing body of Jesus. These were the same chief priests who a couple of days earlier had watched Jesus as he hung on the cross. Remember what they said as they mocked him? They said, he's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe him. Jesus once said, I tell you the truth, that even if a man should rise from the dead, they wouldn't believe. Confronted with the evidence of the resurrection from the lips of the soldiers, they bribed the soldiers to lie. They said to the soldiers, look, go and tell people that you fell asleep and whilst you were asleep that the disciples came and stole the body. Go and tell them that. Do you know what that would have meant for a Roman soldier? For a Roman soldier to admit that he fell asleep on the job, that was suicide to say that. But the chief priests made it worth their while. They paid them lots of money, and uh, if you look carefully at the text there, they promised uh, that they would sort Pilate out, that they would keep Pilate off their backs. And we're told by Matthew that even in his days, Matthew wrote this gospel many years later, that that rumour was still being spread uh, by the the Jews, that uh, the disciples stole the body. Uh, We see in the writings of the early church fathers in the second century that it was still the rumour that was being spread at that time. It's a crazy lie. In the Roman Empire, desecration of graves was a very serious offence. Sometimes it was a capital offence. If the Romans had one scrap of evidence that the disciples had stolen the body of Jesus, they would have gone and had the disciples arrested. And the testimony of Roman soldiers to that effect, for a Roman soldier to say, I witnessed these men steal the body of Jesus from the tomb, that would have been sufficient evidence to convict Although, for a Roman soldier to say, look, I was asleep and I saw the body being stolen, well, how could that be? You see, it's a crazy, stupid lie that was made up on the spot in order to uh, deceive. But Matthew's not actually interested in proving the resurrection to us. It's not really Matthew's agenda to try to prove to his readers that the resurrection happened. Uh, The Apostle Paul does a great job of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 to 6 where Paul's agenda was to show people, to prove that it happened. He says that uh, he talks about the hundreds of people that uh, saw, that met the resurrected Jesus People who are still alive today who you could go back in, in, in paul's day you could go back and talk to them and find out again from them firsthand. Matthew's purpose is to help the reader and by extension that's you and me to help us to understand what the resurrection teaches us about Jesus who he is and why he is important to us today And strangely, it's actually the religious leaders who give us the clue in this regard. Verse 64 is one of the key verses in this section of uh, Matthew's Gospel. Take a look at it. Verse 64, So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day, otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception... Will be worse than the first now what does that mean what was the first deception in their minds what they're saying here is that before his death that jesus deceived people into thinking that he was god's king and they followed him religious leaders didn't like that because he had a greater following than they did that was the first deception that he, that that people thought that he was the christ But after death, if they were deceived and if they thought that Jesus had been raised to life again, then that would be an even greater deception because surely even more people would then follow him as king if they thought that he had been raised from the grave. The irony, of course, is that they're actually right about that, that in the resurrection of Jesus, many, many people... Followed him. The Gospel of Matthew is about the kingship of Jesus. We've seen this from beginning right through his ministry and to the end. In the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 2, the Magi came from the east because they were searching after God's King, the newborn King. Remember that? And Herod called the chief priests together and the chief priests said that the scriptures in uh, Micah 6 said that, uh, the, uh, the, the, that God's king would come out of Bethlehem and so therefore Herod unleashed his troops onto the little boys under the age of two in Bethlehem, slaughtered them. He didn't want a king being risen up from Bethlehem. And then, throughout Jesus' ministry, we have seen his kingly authority. He spoke as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. He exercised authority over the worlds, that is, over the natural world and the supernatural world. He healed the sick, the blind. The lame, the deaf, the paralyzed. He cleansed lepers. He drove out demons from people who had been tortured by their evil possession. He only had to speak a word, and the wind and the waves obeyed his every command. He fed thousands of people from just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. He raised the dead, Jairus' daughter, Lazarus. He exercised great authority, kingly authority in his ministry. And so it would be untrue to say that Jesus has now been given authority through his resurrection because he's always had authority but as jesus is resurrected indeed as jesus is ascended to the right hand of god the father in heaven as jesus comes in the clouds to the ancient of days as daniel 9 put it then we see the full extent of his authority verses 16 and 17 then the eleven disciples went to galilee to the mountain where jesus had told them to go when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted here we see the authenticity of this account most worshiped him some doubted some had seen him three times already for others this was the first time that they saw him. You see, the followers of Jesus were not gullible people who were clutching at the straws and who would respond to anything that vaguely resembled resurrection. No, some doubted. The the transition from fear and doubt to faith and triumphant belief was a gradual uh, progression. And then in verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven And on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All authority, all nations, Matthew's Gospel finishes where it began. Back in chapter 1, verse 1, we were told right at the very outset who Jesus is. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why is that significant? What does it mean to be the son of David? In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God, through the prophet Nathan, promised that David would have a son, a descendant, who would rule over a kingdom which would be an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that would be without end. Son of Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12 and other parts of Genesis, God promised Abraham that he would have descendants Paul in Genesis chapter 3 says that this refers to a particular descendant, that Abraham would have a descendant and that through his descendant that all nations would be blessed by God. And so Matthew begins his gospel. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. All kingly authority has been given to him so that all nations will be blessed through him. By his death, he has paid the penalty for sin. His resurrection shows that he, as king, has defeated death so that all who trust in him can now join his everlasting kingdom, the kingdom promised to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the promise to Abraham is fulfilled. Jew or Gentile, no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done, friends, the invitation to join God's kingdom is open. And to join Christ's kingdom is the right thing to do. It is the wise thing to do. It is the only option. Because in verse 18, Jesus has all authority over heaven and earth. He is is the one who is in charge of the universe. He is the one who is in charge of life, this life and the next life. These last uh, verses of Matthew's Gospel are often referred to as the Great Commission, aren't they? You know there's actually two commissions here. Most people don't see the other commission there's two commissions the chief priests and the teachers uh, uh, the, the chief priests they made a commission didn't they they commissioned a group of soldiers to go out and to spread not the truth but a lie they commissioned the soldiers to go out and tell people that Jesus is dead that he is not risen that the disciples stole the body. What incentive did they provide for the soldiers to do this, to fulfil their commission? A large sum of money. But Jesus has commissioned his followers. Jesus has commissioned his followers to go and spread not a lie but the truth. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. And therefore, those who trust in him, those who repent and turn back to him, can be forgiven by God, can join his kingdom and receive eternal life in the eternal kingdom. The incentive that Jesus provides... For us as we tell others the very good news not a bag of cash something much better than that and we see it in the very last verse it is that he the resurrected jesus the king and the lord of the universe will be with us with you and me that he will be with us through his spirit whom he has poured out into our hearts and that he'll be with us until the end of the age until that time when jesus returns to judge the world and so we pray come lord jesus come as we go out as we confidently declare to those who are not saved that there is a kingdom that they can belong to and it's ruled by a king who loves them so much that he died for them and rose again let us pray father we thank you for the great news of the gospel that uh, jesus not only died for our sins but that he was raised on the third day that he has gone to be with you in heaven that he has poured out his Holy Spirit and that he will come again one day to judge the living and the dead father we thank you for the truth that gives purpose and meaning to life and we pray for ourselves that we would be bold that we would be men and women who and not ashamed of Christ, but rather that we would desire to tell everybody about Jesus. We pray that you would use us to do that very same thing. We pray that through us, that more and more people would join your everlasting kingdom. And We thank you and we praise you in the name of the resurrected Jesus. Amen.